This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I want to talk a bit about, you know, the title of this episode was our sports card collector's expectations out of whack. And I want you to lean into that a little bit now, if you don't mind. Um, and just talking about what you're seeing in the store and what you're seeing as far as what you perceive to be the expectations of, of people in the hobby right now. You know, we, we, we talk about, or there's the, there's, you know, you see people, some people love to say the hobby is dead. It's, it's far from dead. Just go to a card show and you'll, you'll see that. Um, but we hear, we hear people saying that mint ink has been expanding. You know, you're bigger, you have more than one location. I'm not sure exactly two or three. Is it how many, two or three? Currently two, two locations. I mean, that not many LCSs have more than one location. So uh, two locations in the, in the Toronto area. Uh, talk a bit about, you know, how that's been going, but also try to try to weave in your thoughts on just expectations that people in the hobby have. Are they reasonable? Are they unreasonable? And um, yeah, please, your thoughts on all that. Well, it's it's interesting from my current perspective and the past year. It's been about a year I've been with Mint. Going into 2024, um, I, I, am, I am taking on some other, um, I'm putting on some other hats at the end of the day. I, I'm always putting on many different hats, but uh, I will be out and about uh, sourcing collections, consulting with people about their collections. We want to very much be a, a, a very accessible kind of one-stop type of service where people get the best experience possible because the best experience is going to be personalized. Uh, the best experience is going to be honest and have integrity. Um, and so that's, that's, that's really important in all of this We're and we are expanding again, without getting into the details, we are expanding. Um, we are partnered up uh, uh, with uh, PSA golden. These are, these are big names and we are kind of the Canadian arm, so to speak. Uh, it's a big responsibility. And again, it came from reputation and it will continue with reputation. Now, you talk about the the expectations and um, we, we, we are kind of currently in this wave of negativity that's kind of coming alongside big, big changes in the hobby. Fanatics um, kind of becoming the big kind of leader in the hobby when it comes to manufacturing. 
Um, and uh, there's all this chatter, right? There's chatter about uh, what's going on with, with breakers versus, you know, uh, the average guy. What's going on with grading? There always is this um, kind of predisposed negative mindset, like you feel like something is off and someone's trying to take advantage of you. This this particularly can happen when you experiment with certain aspects of the hobby, when you find out your 1990s cards are not worth very much, right, that you had high hopes for, or when you find out that that grading is not as simple as just throwing anything. Like, they're, like look, in, in a respectful way, there's people out there that just are like, here's 10 cards. I didn't even look at them. Just let's get them graded. They come back fives and sixes, and now it's a conspiracy theory, right? Not everything is a conspiracy theory here. And being at the storefront level this past year, we have had monster hits, both with Breaks After Dark, which is the, uh, the Mint Inc. Uh, breaking division, so to speak, uh, which, which they do live shows, IG, whatnot. Um, and we've had monster hits in store. There's nothing more exciting. There's a business above us. I once spoke to some of the ladies above us. And uh, they're just like, what's going on down there? Like, are you guys playing video games? Like every once in a while, there's like screaming and, and a panic. And that's, that's these, these monster hits that I get to see. Um, so I, I get to see how everything is in reality and, and, and that things are kind of balanced and you have to manage expectations of what's going on. Not every box, if every box had a major hit, we would be in a very weird scenario, right? And what would value? become like? How would you evaluate value in that sense? Um, so I'm a big proponent of like, get really good at this, like ask questions, learn about grading. Um, I graded with Beckett in 98, which I believe Jeremy was the first year they were grading. Um, so, and before them, I'd graded with SGC, the one to 100 scale. I taught myself how to kind of recognize patterns, what, what, what the more important elements were. I educated myself on that so that I could even better manage my expectations. Um, you have to decide what you really want to do in terms of the hobby. If, if you want to open boxes, go for it. But again, manage expectations and what the return may be. Um, when you make purchases, I mean, it's ultimately as a result of the fact that we have the craziness of the pandemic era, a lot of people do have skewed expectations. They saw the wild uh, price um, increases, right? Um, so uh, I'm, I'm always kind of the devil's advocate in that sense, letting people know that you, you, you can't just assume the worst. Uh, one of the conversations was about how it is when dealers and stores are, are purchasing items, right? Like these businesses that have an overhead versus what you're doing with your buddies at the after party, so to speak, right? It's, it's, it's kind of a different situation. But I cannot tell you, just as an example, how many times people have come in to sell something and, you know, we're giving them a percentage. We're trying to be as fair as possible. The percentage goes up in terms of how in demand something is. Not once has someone walked away um, feeling like they were mistreated. In fact, uh, you know, uh, I remember um, one, in, one, one incident in particular where a gentleman was just so thankful that we have a hobby where you can go, well, not down the street, but you can find a location and trade in your good, your, your actual asset 
for cash, just like that. And he almost broke into tears. He must have had a bill he needed to pay, right? Both parties benefited, obviously, right? A business is a business because they're making profit, hopefully. Uh, I don't need to tell people this. Um, so much of what we do, like I said, is based on the, the interpersonal level. And if you give people that good experience, I think some of that negative negativity slips away and, and it helps break the armor of this. So many people are just, they're expecting the worst, right? Instead of just going into it with an open mind. If someone doesn't really know what they're doing, they don't have any experience, everything might seem like it, it could potentially be stacked against them, right? Yeah. So we want to create an environment where um, there's community interplay because that like the best thing I can do is get a bunch of people in a situation where they can talk with one another. I feel good. Um, you know, in this, in the store, on the store level that we have regulars that, you know, one guy might know a lot about Pokemon and there might be someone that comes in asking about Pokemon. They're going to get this awesome experience. I'm going to introduce them and they're going to get this awesome experience from someone who actually isn't even a business. He's just a Pokemon fan and can help them. And then I can kind of get on top of that and guide them in terms of here's what's available. Here's how much it costs give them an opinion on it. Uh, I really am fighting a battle at the front lines is the way I see it. Wow. Okay. Well, lot, lots, lots of stuff there. Appreciate you taking you being so thoughtful in your response. I want to go to a comment from our friend, David signed in slabs says expectations of returns are still warped by the pandemic and the momentum freaks, but expectations for the producers are nowhere near high enough. It's an interesting, uh, interesting yeah. viewpoint and if i if i know if i get what he's saying i, I mean you know i i gotta think that i i certainly agree with that I, the second part i certainly agree with uh but we'll see what the future holds you will see what the future holds and um we just saw we just saw this big promotion for these tom brady baseball cards by fanatics and say what you want about the gimmickiness of it or the gimmick of it all that commercial was unbelievable and that commercial, I mean, I was watching TV and I see the commercial. I'm like, this is, if I'm seeing it, what, you know, and I'm not watching hobby content. I know that millions of people are, and that's, I think that's good. It's going to remind people of the hobby who maybe forgot about it. And they're going to go into a shop like Mint Inc or elsewhere, and they're going to buy a pack of cards, maybe, or maybe not to find a Tom Brady baseball card, but it, but it doesn't even matter. It's going to bring people, I believe into card shops. And that's, that's a good thing. Uh, we had a question. Well, first I'll, I'll read Phil's question here it says, I liked Ruben's comments last week. talking about Michael Rubin, the CEO of fanatics. What's the point of distributors and third party auditors are, is a good thing. I think super positive about that. I think that's a, a good comment there from, from our friend Phil. I want to say hello to rage in the house. What's going on rage. Good to see you. And then Dan's Vintage Baseball has a specific question for you. Does Aton have an opinion about Jeff Wilson's proposed 14,000 square foot cards HQ hobby store opening in Atlanta at the end of January? And I don't think it's just proposed anymore. I think that this thing is going to open. Uh, I'm interested in the perspective of someone with contemporary experience in a card store environment. Now, before you answer this, Aton, I would ask you, do you know what what their plans are as far as utilizing 14,000 square feet? Because it's 
If you do, then I think you're qualified to answer. If you don't know how they're going to utilize 14,000 square feet, I don't know if you're qualified to answer. So please, what, what can you help us out with? I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because, um, you know, I'll put it out there. There's, there's content I prioritize. Um, and then I do, you know, I do miss some stories like this. I have heard about him opening a shop. Uh, I may be completely uh, off base here, but I think the concept is to potentially even, um, uh, what's, what's the term for it? Franchise it out potentially. Um, I, I don't I have all the information in terms of how they're going to use the space. Um, I, I just, I have a feeling that my opinion is going to be that I'm all for it in the sense that if we're creating some sort of hobby based experience, uh, I don't know why I would particularly have a problem with it. Yeah, no, I think, I think your, your answer is fair. If you're, yeah, they've, they've gone out and explained how they're going to utilize 14,000 square feet. I mean, that's probably 13,000 square feet bigger than, than many hobby shops out there, but Sounds like a hobby yeah. wonderland. Yeah, exactly. So I think we'll just leave that question there because uh, unless you know what they're doing in, with that space, um, there's no point in really talking about it further here. I, I don't think at this point uh, in time. Good evening to Chris from Rip and Wax, a former guest of the show uh, way back in time now. Chris, good to see you, buddy. Always entertaining. I like I like follow Chris on Instagram. If you're not, he's got a good outlook at Rip and Wax on Instagram. Uh, Bobby Burrell jumps in and says the hobby is simple. Wake up every day to a treasure hunt. Be informed, collect what you collect, what you like, go to stores and shows and share your hobby with others. Like there's a mantra right there. Say that every morning when you wake up, if you're a hobbyist and I don't know that you can really uh, go wrong from there. Yeah. Good stuff, Bobby. All right. Um, let's, let's talk a bit about now, this is, this is, these are words in my notes. I don't really know where we're going with it, but the words are self-determination. And I know that that means something to you, Eitan. Can you please enlighten myself and the audience as far as what you mean by that as it relates to our hobby? Uh, it's, about, it's about taking responsibility and being aware. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, the concept of not being negative, not not having any sort of um, feeling of, of of that sort, but being but being aware and being being responsible for for your actions, whether it is in on the level of a of a transaction that you make, um, whether it's on the level of an investment that you've made, that sort of thing. Um, I think that a lot of complaining can just be supplanted by learning from from some of these things and I'm, I'm hearing this actually from a lot of people um particularly when it comes to investments that were made during the the boom i mean i think february 2021 was pinpointed as as the peak of the madness so to speak i i would i would say for me it was the it was it was the it was just about a week earlier it was the very end of january 2021 it was to me it was the night that golden auction sold those two PSA 10 Jordan rookies for $720,000 each publicly. And then Ken golden came on the show after that. And he, he told us here on sports cards live that they also sold two privately that night as well. So four Jordan rookies sold that night, apparently for 720,000. So just to clarify, I think yeah. it's, I think you're right to me. It's like that end of January because that then sparked, a craze 
that went from went from, it went up a bit more probably, and then yeah. we've just seen the steady decline ever since. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. That's all right, but you know, it's like um, it's, it's it's stuff I said before on a previous podcast that I used to be on, um, which is that like if your base is being passionate about collecting, you're you're going to do really well if you want to start a business. Um, you know, John of, of of Mint Inc. I really immediately got a sense for who he is in this whole grand scheme of things when I went into his office and he had a Paul Coffey rookie card on display um, and, and uh, you know, GI Joe stuff that he loves. If you're a passionate collector, you're going to be successful if it's what you want to do as, as a pursuit, as a business pursuit. If you're, if you're passionate about it and you have knowledge about it, you're going to do really well with, with putting together your PC. Um, so I love the people that, come forward with questions and listen. That's important because some people don't listen. I can tell you a million stories. I can tell you a story of this past year about a gentleman who had an offer of $6,000 for a certain hockey card. I told him to take it based on all these great reasons in one ear, out the other. God bless his heart. He ended up making maybe half of that down the line. Um, and we, we actually helped him with that. But um being open to not just listening to the advice, but, but taking it, applying it. Right. And, um, you know, figuring out how you want to piece together your hobby journey. Cause there's so many lanes. Some people just really love ripping. I like to do a little bit of it. Some yeah. people really like haggling and, and trading at shows. I like to do a little bit of that too. Uh, some people like setting up at shows. I like to do a little bit of that too. You wanted to talk a bit about, charts and you know you've met you even in this discussion you just use the word investments were made and you know there's a there's a whole conversation of amongst the amongst hobbyists and content creators about collecting versus investing and you know we've all got our opinions on that charts have become a big part of the hobby story and you mentioned something to me the other day about it i'd like i'd like you to share your thoughts on sort of the proliferation that, you know, you're scrolling Instagram now, Twitter, whatever social media you're on, you're even watching videos and people are talking about charts and the the ups and downs of values in the hobby. And then you've got some people like at the beginning of it, I was, I was enamored by it. I was like, oh, this is super interesting. And then I started, and then when cards started going down in value, I thought, I don't want to sit there and watch my cards go down in value. I just want to enjoy them for what they are. I'm not planning to sell them anyway. You know, exactly. henceforth, I ended up selling a bunch, but since, you know, circumstances change for all of us all the time. That's besides the point. But talk a bit about the advent of charts and all the attention put on them and, and, and kind of where you think they fall, how, how they've impacted you in your perspective on the hobby. It was certainly jarring as someone coming out of one era into what was going on in 2019, 2020, to see all these charts plastered all over social media, you know, via card ladder and all, all these other uh, different platforms. Um, and my response early on was something I called the low tech look where I would literally hand draw a chart. That was my own little comment on, you know, I'm gonna put a dot here and a dot there based on four sales. And it makes this really weird amoeba-like shape. And um, there you go. Make make of it what you will. Um, but 
I, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, and, it's, and it, it, this did, did this not reach its peak, Jeremy, when they, they started to essentially try to create indexes and kind of mirror, you know, like stock exchanges and things like that. Well, and then that, that became a whole conversation. Yeah. Listen, I, I hear you. I don't, I will, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't look at it as if they being the, the, the card ladders and the market movers of the world, I don't look at it like they tried to mirror the stock market. I look at it as if they were um, inspired by, impacted by the yeah. way those asset classes are tracked. And they're a much different asset class. Sports cards, are, it's an alternative type of investment, if it's an investment at all to you. That's up to you to decide as an individual if these are investments to you or pure collectibles. As I've always said, we all fall somewhere in between that the two extremes of extreme collector, extreme investor. Put yourself somewhere on that spectrum. It's going to be up to you. But I listen. It's natural. It's it's natural for humans to want to find things to make analogies towards to compare things, and it's just such an easy thing to compare. So. I don't I never looked at it like these are stocks. No, they're certainly not stocks. They're completely different than stocks. They're not businesses, they are collectibles. Yeah. And so I think that the the proliferation of all of the charts and indices were more of a way to communicate to the audience, to the hobby, to the participants in this hobby as to just what was going on with the secondary market values of these things because the end of the day we can say these are just collectibles they're you know i'd be happy if my collection was went went down to zero in value well it's good for you i can tell you i wouldn't be happy about that i've invested a lot of money when i say invested i mean deployed i've put a lot of hard-earned money into these collectibles i don't want them to go down to zero i'm yep. sure nobody really truly does if you say that i think you're you know you, you might you might be lying to yourself but that's besides the point i guess what i'm trying to get at it, just to sum this thought up is that they are obviously not stocks or bonds or any they're they're are they a financial instrument i think you can maybe make an argument that they somewhat are because you can trade them for money and then you can trade them you can trade money for them and trade them back for money and they do go up and down in value but they behave completely differently than a stock does and so applying traditional equity tools to the hobby like the charts do, I think you have to take them with a grain of salt and you have to you have to really dive into them, especially the indices, which are made up of hand-selected, a hand-selected yes. group of cards. And I'll tell you, like when 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 I when I watch content of people who report on some of these movements, I'll say hockey's up 30 or whatever, basketball's down 30%, football's down 40%, and baseball's down, you know, 18%, hockey's down five. It's like, no. That's not the truth. That's not accurate. What is it? The accurate statement is these 50 cards in the aggregate are down because 50 cards is a very small sample of a very large population mm -hmm. and it doesn't reflect the whole hobby or that whole sport in the hobby. And if you interpret it and, and consume that content as if it's true, as if it applies to all the cards, you're getting misinformation and then you can make decisions that are that you're that are based on misinformation not incomplete information and that's a bad thing so it's really important for anybody who is relying on charts and indices especially indices to 
know what the specific list, what that mix of specific cards is. Thought. Yeah, well, well, that's certainly where where I was where I was I was heading towards. Particularly, sorry if I stole your sorry if I stole your thunder. That's okay, but I, I was certainly, but just specifically. I mean, I agree with everything you said. Specifically, what you said about collectibles as an asset class or whatever. I was I was actually rustling in my mind before we even got on in terms of how I I, I wanted to explain it as far as what a, a collectibles are. Um, it's or it's an organic kind of evolving thing. Um, an example I can give you is like take something that you don't often see. Let's let's say the 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 nineteen seventy nine sportscaster Gretzky, which isn't even technically a hockey card. It's larger than a hockey card. If you try looking that up. You can do it right now. If you try looking it up at 130 point and you're looking at all the different grades, you will notice in the past three months, like a seven went for less than a six. It was it was all about the timing of when it became available. It's so scarce, right? So you, you cannot really apply that in that sense of, because some, some, sometimes it's not going to make sense. And if you want to start adding private deals, which is a whole other shebang, it gets even more complicated. Um, we certainly do behave like investors sometimes, don't we, Jeremy? If, if, if we decide that, you know, David Pasternak's going to have a huge year this year and we start accumulating, you know, we're, we're quote unquote investing. Um, I told the story about the gentleman who traded his card in for cash and it seemed like a really big deal for him. We, we have that going on as well, but there's just so much involved in, in how it's kind of a living, breathing, organic thing. It's very different. So it's you know, hard to apply it. Yeah, I, I I I put out a post on my Instagram today. But I was just I was actually took my kids to the local farmers market. They were playing in the play structure. I was sitting there, and I had a thought. You know, I basically said something to the effect of, you know, find a card that you love that doesn't break the bank, and that comes out maybe year after year with a big checklist. Narrow down that checklist, you know, if it's a 300 card checklist or a 50 card checklist, narrow it down to, you know, a, a, an amount that you can bang off every year and then collect those every year and yeah. collect those so that you're having ongoing, ongoing activity, you're remaining involved, you have mail days on a regular basis while you are hunting for your big targets. And the reason why I bring this up in the context of what you just said is because the way I've always looked at investing is in the hobby is whenever I am deploying an amount of money that is a, that is significant to me, and this goes for anybody who who's listening to what we're saying, that's up to you to decide. Whenever you are deploying an amount of money that is significant, however you want to define that, I think you are being irresponsible to your future, your family, your whoever, if you are not considering the financial implications the potential of the ability to sell it down the road for at least what you paid maybe more some people will say i don't care i just want the card and that, that's fine i mean go for it like if you are happy to buy cardboard with the intention of you know for significant money and not, maybe never recover that money that's great but then was it really significant money to you that's why i think the word significant is important and we are all going to define it differently based on our own financial situations Whereas, or, you know, versus buying cards with insignificant money to really satisfy that hobby itch. I do it yeah. all the time. I pick up cards for 12, 15, 18 bucks, insignificant money to me, 
because I love them and they make me happy. But when I go spend $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 on a card, I don't do it as frivolously as I do when I buy a $12, $15, $18 card because I'm not so concerned about recovering that $12, $15, $18. But I have two kids. You know, I'm going to want to help them with education. I'm going to want to do this and that for them down the road. And one, two, five thousand $5,000 today in 15 years invested in more traditional assets yeah. is going to grow to a bigger number that would help them in their future. So by spending $1,000 today on a frivolous expense, like a, like a, like, like a, the, the flavor of the month rookie in football or basketball might not be the best financial decision. So if you are not thinking financially when you're deploying significant money in your into the hobby, I think you're being irresponsible and maybe you're maybe you're just trying to form a narrative that you know is really gonna nip you in the in the butt down the road. What do you think? You you are addressing very passionately something that that goes back to the self-determination, self-responsibility element, playing within your means. Um, I think some sense of that was lost during the pandemic era because it was so easy to make money, to to flip a a retail product. If you had an in at Walmart and you knew someone that would backdoor stuff to you, you, you're good to go. Cards were fluctuating so wildly and quickly it was it was easy to make money. We're 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 now back to where we were, where it's supposed to be, in my opinion, um, before all the madness. And what you're addressing is the fact that, and it goes back to expectations again as well, is that some people are playing beyond their means when it comes to sealed product. Some people are playing beyond their means in terms of the way that they're investing. I'm going to bring it up because I like to stir it up. And, and hockey collectors are going to uh, maybe feel this resonating with them. But something that I noticed as of late is these gentlemen who were putting a lot of money into Alexander Ovechkin, smartly getting ahead of the fact that he may break Wayne's record, um, finding that because they're sitting on these items that they didn't have any really like good reason to spend the amount of money they did, they're realizing that hit that they're looking for that may come down the line may it may come down the line is not here like a half year a year later and they're wanting to move it and they're getting desperate to move it so if you're looking for ovechkin right now as opposed to six months ago as a buyer you're in a much better position i hate using that example but i'm going to use it because i never saw something so stark these people that were, were stacking realized man it's a few months later and i need cash and i put it into ovechkin you, you, you didn't put it into a savings account. You put it into a guy and, and, and a player that is not having a good year so far. And the market's reacting to it. I know a lot of people don't want to hear this stuff. But well, um, again, yeah. what, what? sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say really quickly that when Ovech, Ovechkin's peak, we didn't know it at the time, but his peak was like last season when he was scoring goals yeah. and the record was baked in. We talk about championships being baked in, whether it's, Giannis or Luca or whoever the champ Ovechkin breaking Gretzky's all-time NHL goals record was baked into his prices last year now as somebody mentioned uh hobby champs mentioned this about seven minutes ago has Ovi hit a wall five goals five percent shooting percentage after 26 games not looking good it isn't I for way back I thought he's not going to break Gretzky's record. Then I thought, well, he had a big season last year. You know, 
five more seasons at 15 goals. He's going to, or whatever it takes, he's going to get there. Yeah. Now it's like, is he going to score 15 goals this season? I don't know. Like he's, he's kind of right on, right on the cusp of that. So yeah, you know, anytime it, you are banking, just to come back to what you were saying, you are banking yeah. financially on a specific player that goes against what any good investment advisor would t- will tell you, which is to diversify. If you yeah. are, if you are putting all your money into any one player, I mean, LeBron James is a great example. I mean, LeBron and Kobe Bryant, another good, Michael Jordan's the one exception, maybe Gretzky, but even these guys have fluctuations, but I think you're long-term very safe. But LeBron James, I mean, two years ago, his cards were going bonkers. And now, now they're, they're, they've totally come down in value, which is probably a good thing long-term. Kobe has the act, has the helicopter crash, dies, the cards spike. It's been a steady decline since then. Yeah. Even even Patrick Mahomes wins the Super Bowl and then the cards go down in value. Now that was timed with you know the end of the pandemic and free money and all this. So there's there's more, there are more uh elements happening that are causing these these things, more forces. But I hear what you're saying, and I am now concerned that Ovechkin won't break that record. I would like him to. I think it's good for the hobby if he does. Uh at least short term, it's good for the hobby. But and I'm not saying that because I have OV cards and I will sell them. I don't have many Ovechkin cards. The ones I do are in sets and I'll probably, I won't sell them for a very long time. But in any event, um, I kind of jumped in on you. So if you wanted to pick well, up for you. I mean, you just, you got ahead of the cartel again, but that's all right. Because I want to add to it. I'll tell you how the cartel moves. You mentioned diversification. I I mean, I've had um, people tell me I'm, I, I go just completely off the cliff with diversification because I'm not just diversifying within the hockey hobby. I'm diversifying across sports and collectibles. Um, I was collecting VHS tapes well before the, the, the big boom. I still have my favorite VHS. Tapes. I, I'm not into sealed VHS tapes. I'm into big box VHS tapes, horror movies, that sort of thing. I was doing that as a casual hobby. And the next thing I know, I have a buyer that always sees me at the expo. You wouldn't believe. I mean, regardless, the, the point is, yes. How does a cartel move? Diversification and also enjoying what they do, taking pleasure in it. I know that's a little dark, but I take pleasure in this hobby in the sense that, like Jeremy said, I'm not leaving a show without something personal that always winds up being fairly cheap right? Fairly insignificant. Someone might even say, what's the deal? My favorite thing is some people say, why are you grading this? Right? Because I find something beautiful and special in it and I'm going to put it on display. That's why I'm grading it. Okay. And no, it doesn't have to be a 10. I love people talking about gem rates of their, of their grading submissions. If you just, again, not to toot my own horn, but if you just want to play that game with modern cards, I have about an 80 to 90% gem rate. But sometimes you're submitting something, you know it's not going to gem. My 1954 Parker's card, I'm not sending in because it's going to gem. Although I did get a very high grade on it. I'm very happy. But not Ken Dryden, though, as, as we found out on my feed. But um, but yes, you, you don't want to put all the eggs in one basket. Unless, hey, if you're an Ovechkin guy, go for it. You should probably have played your cards differently in terms of when you purchased. Some people are going to be really hurt by it. They're hurting already right now because they didn't realize oh now i have to sit on this thing and there there won't be this reaction but look i come out and tell people i want to help them if there are if there is a chart if a baseball player gets called up that's a peak in the chart if juan soto gets traded to the yankees 
he could start he could start off hot as hell at the beginning of next season. You probably still won't see the spike that just happened, right? And I talk openly with people about this so that they get it and they uh, they 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 put it you know in their mind. Sorry if I'm a little shaky there. Minor earthquake in Toronto. Um, and, uh, and, and, and get people on the right track that way. What I was going to say is when someone asks me the classic question, what do I do? What do I buy? You can only imagine how often that happens in the store, right? Yeah. yeah. I ask them some questions because I want to lead them, not just to the, the product period. I want them to, I want to lead them to something they'll enjoy. Someone might enjoy artifacts versus base cards, like uh, series one, series two. Someone might enjoy acetate cards they might think they look really cool so i'll bring them over to ice or something like that right um that's important and and like i said the, the first experiences are so important for new entrants in the hobby i want it to be good and i want them to stick with the hobby i think what you're getting at is you know it's like if you are selling cars or you are selling clothes or you are selling investments or you're selling houses you want to qualify your customer to put them in the right clothes, put them in the right car for them, put them in the right in, the right investments that have the right risk tolerance. And if you and I think that that if you apply that approach as a salesman, not not a slimy salesman, but as a good salesman yep. to your customers in Mint Inc or any other sports card shop out there, even if you're a, a, a pop up shop vendor, as you said earlier at card shows, like we all are when you set up a card show. If you take that time to learn about what they're going to like and help me, like even I've had a, I've had a customer at a card show, try to buy a card from me. And I've already kind of understood. And I said, that's not the card for you. I'm telling you, you don't want to, don't buy that card from me. Don't buy any, I don't have a card for you here, but you know, a over there beside me, he's got something that's going to be better for you, for what you collect. And I love, I love that way of, approaching a car an lcs's role is to qualify the customer yes some people are going to come in they're going to buy a box of this a box of that and you're just going to sell it to them i get that you know especially because the way the business works lcs's are stuck with so much modern junk wax that they just they have to sell they have to blow it out in order to get allocation for the next stuff it's such an interesting uh industry that way interesting was a was was too complimentary by me just there but um if you and you know how that works if you qualify your customers that's going to set you and your shop apart but be because you care you care you want to put them into the right product yeah that makes sense yeah and and by the way um i mean it's kind of separate but the same when it comes to buying right when someone's coming in to sell something they're going to appreciate it when I can tell them a bunch of things about what they have. Um, and in the case of if someone does already know what they have, showing them that I appreciate the fact that they were so passionate about it at, at one time, whether it was when they were a kid or whenever they put that collection together and give them a great experience that way as well. Because you you very well may wind up with someone who st sticks in the hobby. They, they're not just selling off their collection. They want to see what's new. It's very different. They want to see what's new. Yeah, no, for sure. We seem to just lost the cartel for a moment. Let's get let's give him a moment to get back here. In the meantime, I'm going to go to 
a couple of comments here. First of all, Nick Martelli, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Uh, David Signed in Slab says, realistically, cards are not particularly liquid, and that illiquidity, even with graded cards, is a big part of why prices are volatile. They aren't commodities or stocks. And I think that's an interesting comment, David. The thing that I often find the most challenging, and I think other people must as well, is figuring out where, when, where and when is the best way to sell certain cards? Because, you know, I used to say that they are liquid because you could you could list them on eBay and get paid in five days. And to me, that was liquid. But maybe I misunderstood the definition of, of liquid and liquidity. To me, it just means, you know, easy, easy in, easy out, easy to get out of them uh, if and when you need to. And, um, and so for, oh, look, the background, I'm sorry, I'm just in the middle of a thought here, but nice, nice change. Um, but to, I'm just talking, I'm responding right now, Aton, to David's comment on the screen, talking about the, the liquid, the liquid, the, the nature to which sports cards have liquidity. And, uh, but I do agree with his last comment. They aren't commodities or stocks. No, you can't sell them in an instant. I can go into my financial, my, 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 my trading account and i can sell a stock in 3 seconds it's it's instant it, as long as there's a buy order out there which there are for most most highly liquid stocks you know you're going to sell them right away in the hobby it's going to take a few days and is that does that mean that they're not liquid i don't know i think they're close to liquid but they may not be totally liquid and again to come back to the original thought i sometimes do struggle to figure out you know here's a card I want to max out when I sell this card because I only have one chance to sell it. And I maybe have owned it for 10 years. Where's the, what's the best way to sell it? And there's many, there are many different ways uh, that, that we can find to sell these cards. So um, Aton, anything, uh, anything resonate with you now that you jump back on? It's never a cartel experience without technical difficulties. So you're getting the real authentic experience this time. Um, no, I think, I think you, uh, you covered all the bases. Um, I think, I mean, there, there is that element, there, there is that element of liquidity in this, if, if you have the right things, so to speak. And again, that, that just comes with experience. We, 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 we hear that term used a lot, right? Some in a trade, someone be like, well, this one's more liquid than, than that one, et cetera, so on and so forth. And it's true. Um, there's going to be different levels per, per, per product, per card, um, you know, like, like I said, a lot of like sealed product was practically liquid during uh, during the uh, the pandemic, right? But uh, but yes, it's it's very different than stocks, very different than things like that. I, I'm in agreement there. You know, here timepiece Esquire. First of all, thank you for the uh, the tip. We uh, appreciate that. Makes he makes a comment here. I want to touch. He says illiquidity. You guys must not have heard of Burbank Sports Cards. They provide ultimate liquidity for cards every day. Well, yes, but there's a qualifier to that. You have to be on site, right? You have to be there. What percentage of the hobby is walking into Burbank sports cars or can walk into Burbank? For me, it's going to be an $800 flight. Well, that's that's a big expense. Maybe I need a hotel. Maybe I want to rent a car. I'm going to pay some Ubers. Um, it's not liquid for me. It's liquid for people that are traveling there. And even then, you might wait three months to go there. So it's very liquid. If if Burbank sports cards 
had locations in every major center, I would see it as being much more liquid. Uh, and I don't know, maybe Timepiece Esquire is being somewhat tongue-in-cheek here with this comment. I don't know. But in any event, and then David responds and says, they do that at market or a discount from market. And that's an interesting comment too, because it's understandable that they do it at a discount from market because there are going to be, there's going to be transaction fees in everything that you do, including trade most, including in most cases, trading your stocks and bonds on, on your trading account. There are transaction fees in just about everything that you do. So I have no issue with fees. I have no issue with a with a buyer buying it, say, it just depends. Like, I always look at it like this. If I'm going to sell a card myself on eBay, I'm going to pay about 13% fees altogether. So do I mind getting 80, 80%, maybe even 75 from a from an LCS like Burbank? Now I don't have to do any of the work. So it's only costing me maybe an extra seven to 12%. It's, it, can be, it can add up. I get that. But you got to work out the value of your time. We're not all, not everybody has time to, to, to buy and sell online themselves, whether it's on eBay, on whatnot, on any of these, uh, on any of these, you know, massive, massive platforms. Uh, anything you want to add to that? It, it, may, it may have been somewhat tongue in cheek because technically speaking, you can make everything liquid very easily. Someone could come in and, and, you know, there actually have been instances where I've told someone like, please don't let me pay what you're asking for this right now. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, because A, I, I didn't want it at what it would have been fair. And there's a reason why I don't want it, right? We don't buy everything, but the person comes down so low because, you know, presumably they're seeking cash that I find myself in a position like, I really don't want to do this, but if you want me to do this, I'll do this. So technically speaking, everything's liquid. If you come in at, at, at you know, uh, ridiculous uh, uh, pricing, like but you know what? that's and, what Dave's getting at. Right. And, and yeah, Dave even says here, yes, it gets more liquid to lower the price. The other thing about that is for the seller, you got the seller has to continue what they got in at. If I bought it for $10 and the going rate is 50 and Burbank or whoever offers me 40 and I don't have to do any of the work. Yeah. So 40 yeah. being 80% of 80% of market and yeah. I'm in for 10 and I'm going to make a 400% return and yeah. they're going to make their, they're going to make their end of it. Like that might be okay for a lot of people. Um, Timepiece Esquire jumps in with another tip and says, I go to Burbank sports <laughs> card every day and they have hundreds of new cards every day. I've been there several times my, myself, Timepiece. I love going in there. Like I've been in there twice in the same weekend and it's like different cards each day. I hear you. They do a great job of turning over their inventory on a daily basis. And that's because they're known for, for the liquidity. They're, they're, they're unique in that sense because their owner is so hell bent on having something available from every set. We've seen those reels on Instagram. It's stupendous. But man, I, I, I understand and comprehend the amount of work that takes and the amount of turnover you, you need to be bringing stuff in. Um, I think the closest you can get to an experience like that and the level of being able to just show up and sell stuff, probably like a show. I mean, if you're at a show the size of the expo, you're going to probably find someone interested in purchasing your item, no matter how obscure or no matter how in demand or not in demand it is, right? So, yeah, yeah. 
Well, okay. So David here says hobby transaction fees are some of the highest in any liquid market. True. And maybe, maybe they sort of should be because it's, I, I say that, well, when we're, I, I guess I have to get an understanding of every liquid market that David is thinking of. If we're just, th if we're thinking about stocks, well, I mean, these guys, you know, these, these financial intermediaries are doing so many trades all the time that it's a volume game, more volume, the lower, the lower fees you need to make to pay the rent, pay the employees and everything like that. Mike Double V says, when considering liquidity, you must also consider the time frame to sell. Stocks can be sold instantly. Cards can't. However, with online marketplaces like eBay, most cards can be sold in a week. Yeah, I think I said basically that exact thing a few minutes ago. I, I definitely think that, that that makes a lot of sense. He goes on to say, obscure cards may take longer to sell three months or more. Yeah, you got to, unless you know them, unless you, the what some people are really good at just knowing what Facebook group to talk to, to sell in, what, you know, when to list on what marketplace, yeah. uh, you know, but some that have, some cards have a very small market and that's going to be different. I, that's where I kind of like to talk about, you know, commodity cards versus, well, I'll just call them less liquid card. To me, a commodity card is something that will sell pretty quick anytime you list it, like you will sell it eventually. You can start off at 99 cents and it's going to sell at auction or you can sell it or you can list it for a fair price and it's going to sell, especially if that fair price is lower than the most recent comps because there are four comps a day on that specific card. Colin Murray says, go to any weekly show in Ontario, lots of dealers buying. You don't have to go to Burbank. Yeah, that's a good point too. Card shows are moments of liquidity because card shows are not 24 seven or, or, you know, the same hours that the stock market is open every day. Right. So, but you also can't do it from the comfort of your own basement. Uh, you have to go to the show. You have to pay for parking, you have to pay for gas and so on and so forth. And I'm just, you know, trying to throw out all the different factors so we can all uh, think about them. And finally, the professor says, I had positive experience with Burbank and you do not have to accept their price. You can also speak for free to the card father, that is Rob Varis, and ask him questions worth that flight cost, in my opinion. Yeah, if you're if you are looking for someone's uh, opinion in specific uh, specifically, um, you you can definitely do that. Emails work too. I just want to quickly throw out there. Want to welcome everybody who's watching on Instagram. This is the first time that we are live streaming the show to Instagram as well as Facebook, LinkedIn. YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. So welcome to the Instagram people. I can see your comments, but they're not, I can't bring them onto the screen. It's a separate sort of thing. So Brendan Ryan, I see your comments. I appreciate them. Dan the Cardman, I see you there. Amber Zenith, what is going on? Good to see you. Lakers exquisite. People have been coming in and out. Same with Twitter. Want to welcome people watching on Twitter. I can see who is joining pretty cool for the first time. All right, Aton, back to you. We have about two and a half minutes left, and then we're at the two-hour mark. This went by a lot faster than you thought it would. Um, what would you like to wrap up with? Oh, boy. Uh, I also – I quickly wanted to mention, you mentioned Brendan Ryan. I want that guy's uh, account to grow. He does some interesting stuff. I believe we're both featured on Brendan Ryan's uh, account, right? He makes yeah, these, like um, – I've had characters. a few. I've had three or – he's he's featured me on his, uh, his hobby creator – a fellow yeah. feather his hobbyist car you know custom cards yeah. he's done three yeah. or four he's done he doesn't tag four. anyone or use any hashtags but that should be a bigger account 
I like what he Fair. does. Yeah, no, you're um, right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, other, I, I think we covered a lot of the bases that I wanted to d- discuss with you. I think it's wonderful that we finally did this. I think it was overdue, Jeremy, especially being that we're a couple Canucks that uh, have been around this long in the hobby. So I'm glad we were able to do this. Um, I am very excited about the hobby. If you can't tell, I know you are. We, we always will be in a way, but um, at a time when there's a lot of people bemoaning prices or quality control of companies, which is a whole other thing as well. Uh, I like to stay positive because uh, I love this stuff and I want that to be people's experience. And Mint Inc. lets lets me do that through them as a vehicle in, in a sense. And I'm also able to do that on Instagram as well. Um, beer development and maintenance tips. It's a secret. Cartel secrets, my friend. Um, the beard. And of course, we, we we have to mention the uh, the the Beau Bichette like flow that Dave has. I'll I'll give him that since I made the pre war comment right, enough, earlier. Enough talk about about all you guys with all the hair, okay? Yeah, neither one of us wants to talk too much <laughs> about that. But um, you know, I I, uh, I I I hope you understand, Jeremy, that I hold you in high regard. That is very clearly evident. Because UFC 296 is going on right now. Please, no spoilers from anyone. I'm so glad I can't see any chat or anything like that. Um, the cartel's here rather than watching that. That's a big deal. I hope you appreciate that, Jeremy. I hope you remember that going down the line. Um, I did want to very quickly, uh, it kind of snuck in there earlier. I don't know if you noticed, but, um, you know, I, I was previously on a podcast. Don't want to get too much into it. Someone asked a question. Check out my feed. I made a whole video about it. I was very snarky, even though I didn't want to be. And it'll give you information about that. But yes, there are people who were checking me out on a weekly basis. Um, on to other things right now. Uh, uh, it was a uh, voluntary action to move on from that podcast. 2024, not only are big things happening with Mint Inc. Partnered up with some major, fantastic uh, uh, organizations. Um, we are all about the kids just like the Wu-Tang Clan, so, so much like the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, so many events uh, that that cater to families, kids, because we love the hobby. We want it to grow. We want people to have amazing experiences. You check out our reviews. Uh, we are we're very highly reviewed, well-regarded. We, we, we're a part of the community, charity initiatives, you name it. It's, it's just an amazing organization through and through. Uh, and again, I, I, I say that genuinely, unbiased. I know I'm wearing the hat. But uh, if anyone knows the cartel, that there's not a lot of this that comes out when it comes to any particular organization. What's my favorite grading company? I always tell them I dislike them all the same. But anyway, uh, we got to use them. And, and, and uh, they are sending them back. That's a good thing. They actually send our cards back. Um, other than that, yes, uh, the cartel will be on one or more podcasts in 2024. You will be experiencing a hockey card hangover in 2024. With myself, someone else we've also mentioned on this show, Jeremy. I don't want to overstep any lines or anything like that. No, go he, for listen. If you if he may all, also did you did you just leak the name of this podcast as right, hockey I, card hangover? I believe I did. You did. I think I caught on to that. I, I believe I did, and and it may involve another uh, gentleman who is taller than six foot, uh, like, like myself, has a beard, like myself. We share a lot of other weird things. I don't want to get too too much into it, and I'm not saying right. that we're like. Um, it's okay. Yeah, I'll just leave. That I'm not trying to out. say that uh, we've climbed the same mountains, but anyway, um, 
I'm really looking forward to that uh, because onwards, I, I really, I love that. Onwards and upwards in 2024. The past is the past. We move forward. We, all we can do is move forward in life, in the hobby. And uh, good, good, good. I, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what you have planned. But Richie Rocket says 63 watchers. Let's hit the like button. I appreciate that, Richie. Yes. Want to thank everybody uh, for being here. And uh, and joining the show, Bobby Burrell says, "Boss show tonight, Aton and Jeremy. Thanks, boys. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Hobby Champs. Uh, David says, "Great job. Really enjoyed this one. Two of my favorite Canadians. Thank you, <laughs> David, who was on a recent episode of the show. Eric, good to see you. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate the comments. It's great in depth conversation. MSG, good to have you here as well. Thank you to everybody who joined on Instagram for the very first time." This is my 493rd live stream in my in my hobby content creation career, and it is the first one that has ever streamed live on Instagram as well as the other platforms. So that's pretty cool. Thank you to Instagram for opening up, you know, the the live stream, the multi-stream technology. That is awesome. Welcome to everybody on Twitter, Twitch. Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, we stream sports cards live to about eight or nine different destinations, YouTube being the number one, the main hub for all of it. Thank you, Dan says, loving you have a guest with this kind of energy. Aton is a credit to the hobby. Appreciate that, guys. That's it for tonight. Tomorrow night on the channel, the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auction Ending Watch Party with Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show. And Monday night, MC Mondays Live, with Michael Hathaway, the crystal ball will be joining me for that episode. Tons of action. You don't want to miss it. We'll be streaming all of this to Instagram as long as people are watching. Aton, say goodbye. See y'all later, folks. All right. And with that, this episode. Mint ink to the world. This episode of Sports Cards Live is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.